Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humic Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. Ventura County, California is a key agricultural area with a production value of lemons amounting to $253.7 million in 2021. However, just a few weeks ago, citrus greening was detected in Ventura County for the first time ever. This bacterial disease was found in the U.S. and Florida in 2005 and has since then had a devastating effect. Trees infected with a green citrus will die. For many years, they've been watching what's happening in Florida, and now the first infected trees have been found here, according to David Holden of Holden Research and Consulting in Ventura County. One tree infected with citrus greening was found in Santa Paula three weeks ago, and that's when the California Department of Food and Agriculture declared a quarantine. The detection requires a mandatory five-mile radius quarantine around the fine site to restrict the movement of citrus fruit, trees, and related plant material. Since the first detection, a number of trees infected has slowly expanded. Expanded. On a positive note, the infected trees have all been found within city limits and backyards. He says no commercially grown tree has been affected. However, in California, the number of trees planted in backyards equals the number of trees commercially grown. In other words, many residents grow citrus trees. As a result of the detection, about 8,600 acres of citrus are now in quarantine. During the first few days of the quarantine, Ventura County was harvesting the last lemons of this part of the season. Typically, they don't have harvest between late October and mid-January according to Holden. Those last lemons that were harvested during quarantine were only able to leave the farms after having been treated for the pest. Growers were forced to mitigate the risk of spreading the disease by running the fruit over a great system that sheds the leaves. In addition, an approved insecticide in a form of a pre-harvest spray had to be applied. He says it's important to get rid of any material that could spread the disease and the leaves are a big concern. Citrus greening, otherwise known as Juan Longabing or HLB, is spread by a pest called the Asian citrus ciliad that feeds on the tree leaves. ACP first showed up in California about 10 years ago. Since then, they have been very proactive and successful in keeping the ACP down. He says they are not scared, but growers will have to make some changes in the way they do things. California ranks number one in the nation for dairy production with 11 to 1,200 dairy farms, each with an average of 1,400 cows, mostly concentrated in Tulare County in the San Joaquin Valley. A major dairy waste is cow manure, which is a byproduct that can require millions of dollars for each dairy to manage. To help manage the manure, CDFA provides grant funds to California dairy farms to install dairy digesters, a technology that can break down manure and produce methane, which is a form of renewable energy. The digesters provide additional benefits such as capturing greenhouse gases while improving the nutrient value of manure and water quality. According to Promote Panley, University of California Cooperative Extension Specialist in the School of Veterinary Medicine Extension at UC Davis, has been studying dairy digesters for over 20 years to understand the conversion of manure into renewable energy. He is also trying to determine the effects of anaerobic processes on dairy manure quality, biogas production, and the environment. 
Between 2015 and 2022, CDFA supported approximately 133 dairy digester projects in California with grants of more than $200 million. The California state government plays a big role in the success of this technology because the majority of dairy farmers are not financially able to invest in implementing the manure management technology, which assists both dairy farms and community, he says. For dietary components that cannot be completely digested by a cow's stomach, dairy digesters use a variety of bacteria to break down the manure under anaerobic conditions. This provides an option for sustainable waste treatment. The process not only reduces greenhouse gas emissions by capturing the gases released from manure, but also produces renewable energy in the form of biogas, which can be used as an alternative fuel for cars to further bring down greenhouse gas emissions. In addition, a dairy digester helps to reduce odor and pathogens that pose a risk to human health. According to Panley, one cow can theoretically produce roughly 100 pounds of wet manure daily, and this manure contains nitrogen and phosphorus, which are important for soil. About 40 cubic feet of biogas is produced from the manure of one cow under anaerobic conditions, and this biogas has a potential to produce around 24,000 BTU per cow. In California, a 1,000-square-foot home uses 45 to 55,000 BTUs per day for heating and cooling. That means manure from two or three cows could meet the daily energy demand of a small home. By using digesters, farmers can prevent greenhouse gas emissions and simultaneously generate energy and soil amendments, which provide nutrients to cropland, lessening the amount of commercial fertilizer needed. By connecting technologies, the liquid from digesters can be improved to produce water that can be used for irrigation and for meeting the water demands of a dairy farm. Dairy farmers traditionally use anaerobic or manure lagoons to store their liquid manure waste until they are ready to apply it to farmland as fertilizer. The issue is that lagoons emit greenhouse gases such as methane into the atmosphere. It's important to not overexpect from a dairy digester because it doesn't reduce all forms of pollution from manure completely, he said. But given the available resources, funding and technology, he says they're off to a good start. Sophia Produce LLC of Arizona, which does business under the name True Fresh, is recalling all sizes of fresh cantaloupes packaged in a cardboard container labeled with the Malachita label, sold under the following sales order numbers of October 16th and October of 2023 because they have the potential to be contaminated with salmonella. The cantaloupes were distributed directly to following states, including California, and the cantaloupes would have reached consumers through retail produce markets. To date, there have been no reported illnesses associated with the cantaloupes. Antelopes. Nominations are currently being accepted for the election of directors to open positions on the board of directors of the California Cotton Jenners and Growers Association. There are four grower director terms that are expiring this year in Kings and Riverside County. There are also four Jenner director terms that are expiring this year. All nomination forms must be completed and returned to the association by this Wednesday. For more information, log on to the ccgga.org website. The Almond Board of California and the Almond Alliance are two separate organizations with separate goals and even separate legal constraints. The Almond Board, which is supported by grower checkoff funds, is limited to marketing and research. The Alliance, on the other hand, can advocate in Sacramento and Washington, D.C. Together, they work on behalf of the almond industry. 
As industry has evolved, so too has the alliance with the addition of a growers committee earlier this year. Chairing that committee is Kelly Evans, who grows almonds, prunes, row crops, and rice with her husband, brother, and father near Live Oak. Evans also was recently elected to the almond board as a co-op grower. The thing is, is the California Almond Board is a marketing order. So essentially it's regulated by the USDA and we're only allowed to market almonds. We're allowed to do research. We're allowed to find out all these amazing facts and everything great about almonds and share that information in a marketing order, right? Or marketing fashion through advertisements, you know, press releases, things like that. But we can't go in and to say the state office or say DC and be like, hey, these policies are affecting us as almond growers. These policies, you know, we need you to vote this way. This is going to hurt us if you vote that way. So that's where the almond alliance comes into play. So essentially they're our political arm. They're the ones that are able to take that information that we at California Almond Board generate and then use it in more of that manner of helping focus on what our needs are at a legislator side. So they can go in if it is right now we have going on with different things from like the pollinators, the bees that are going to be protected, the monarchs. And they are able to go in and say, hey, this is how it's going to affect the almond growers. This is what we need help with. This is how we need you to vote. Or maybe it's, hey, there's disaster funding. You need to help give us money for this freeze that we had in 2022. The Ammon Alliance is able to do that. The Ammon Board can only generate information and be marketing the actual crop. It used to be the Alliance was composed of just hullers and shellers. With the addition of a growers committee, Evans said that part of the industry now has a voice and can provide their unique perspective. Take, for example, the April 2022 freeze that hit parts of the Sacramento Valley particularly hard. She said hullers and shellers were aware of the issue, but they may not be aware that growers are still awaiting federal disaster payments. So as obviously times have changed, at the board at the Am Alliance realized that we are getting all this information from the whole shellers and even processors, but that's only a part of the circle of the Ammons. So it's really, you know, we all have a part in this journey. And so they realize that, hey, we need to get the voice of the actual grower because it's different how we see things as a grower is different than a whole or sheller or processor sees the life cycle, what their needs are and stuff. So they decided to start the committee. There's only two committees now. So you have the whole or sheller committee and you have the grower committee. So I chair the grower committee. It started in February. So we're getting the ball rolling and trying to get the word out. But it's really nice to be able to bring our voice and how it's affecting us. So a really good point is the whole or shellers know that, you know, we had a disaster in 2022, but they might not know like, hey, we haven't got our money on the program before, like PARP. So in our committee meeting, our legislators that we work with and our um, advocacy groups, they were like, yeah, we got that going. Aubrey sent a letter. We got 2022 now rolling. I'm like, hey, but what about PARP? We did that back in, you know, April, May. We still haven't got money on that program, which is for like, you know, the wrap up the, for the 2020 and the 2021 crop. And they're like, oh, we didn't even know that. So bringing that grower voice and perspective that sometimes, you know, the whole sheller doesn't have makes the Ammon Alliance stronger in advocating for what we need. 
Among the issues the Alliance has been working on are the 2024 Farm Bill. Specific to almonds, Evans said they've been trying to get crop insurance changed so trees younger than six leaf can be insured. She said the Alliance also has been working with state and federal agencies involved in protecting monarch butterflies and four bees. The Alliance favors a safe harbor policy where almond growers providing habitat, like cover crops and hedgerows, wouldn't be cited for violating the Endangered Species Act if they accidentally took one of the insects. Right now, the Amit Alliance has been working closely on the farm bill. We've been giving suggestions, saying, you know, these are things we want to address if it's the AGI or if it's maybe getting sixth leaf or fifth leaf in the Ammons, be able to insure them, which we haven't had in the past. And we all know varieties have changed and we're able to go into production sooner. So obviously things in the farm bill need to be adjusted to cover for that. So we're working closely on that and monitoring and making sure that money's still in programs like equip and stuff of California farmers. We also have been working closely with EPA, with USDA, with CDFA, with the Fish and Game on these four bees that are going to be now protected by the federal government and the state government as an endangered species in the monarch. So making sure that we get set in place a Safe Harbor Act or a CCA that essentially will allow us to be protected so that we, if we do these conservation practices like cover crops and hedgerows, which we naturally already do, we show that we do more good than bad for the for the species. And so you essentially come after us if we accidentally take a bee or accidentally take a monarch. Evans said she believes it's her civic duty to serve on the various boards and to give the almond growers a voice. In addition to the Alliance and the Almond Board, she's also a Blue Diamond Grower Liaison and sits on the Sutter County Resource Conservation District Board. While larger organizations do a good job for the industry, she said lawmakers really want to hear from growers and how issues are affecting individuals. Evans said growers don't have to be involved as much as she is, but she encouraged them to become more active, even if it's something small, like speaking at an industry roadshow. For me, fortunately enough, our setup, I have a wide range of knowledge that I can share with these organizations to really help keep the industry strong, because as growers, we really do need to bring our voice. We may complain on our farm that we don't like how things are going, but we never necessarily get up and do something about it. And so I really felt like if I don't get up and do something about it, I don't bring my voice. Change can't happen. We can't try to keep this industry strong. And we are going through a tough time. So we need more help in that area. I'd love to see more growers, you know, get involved and bring their voice, even if it's just on one committee or does not necessarily have to be at the level that I do it, but participating when we do roadshows and want to hear what the growers say, because really our voice is very strong, but we amplified if we all work together and share that voice. If it's going into during Ag Council Day, you know, working with them and voicing our opinion as Ammon growers with our legislators, you know, they listen, they want to hear our voice. They're going to listen to us better than staff. If it's from our co-op or if it's from the Ammon board, they want to hear what actual people on the ground are, are saying, doing, how it affects them. So if we don't share our voice, who's going to? And so I just feel it's a real need and it's my civic duty to do that. The Alliance just launched the Grower Committee in February, and Evans said the goal is to have at least two growers from each production area. There are seats still open, and she encouraged growers to at least explore the idea by calling the Almond Alliance office.
We're definitely trying to get it going. So we try to have at least two growers from each region. And then on top of that, we also have other little like needs where maybe, hey, this came out about Farm Bill. It's nice to be able to share it with some growers and be like, what's your thought on it? Hey, how is this going to affect you? Because the more little voices we get and information and everyone has kind of a different background of how they farm, their farming operation and how it's set up and their dynamic that it's really helpful so that we can help the overall group of growers and not just a few. Even if being an Alliance committee member isn't the right fit, Evans said there are other ways growers can become more active in the industry, like hosting an urban lawmaker on their farm, or even just becoming an Almond Alliance member, which helps support the group's advocacy efforts. So they can always reach out to me or they can reach out to the Alliance staff. They can go to the website and call, get the number and call the staff. They will, by all means, um, share, you know, when the next committee meeting is and or introduce them and we can sit down and see if that's something they want to do and get more involved. There's lots of different areas to get involved too. Maybe it's hosting a legislator at your farm and showing them on the ground what it's like. We do that all the time. You know, it could be a legislator from Compton and they, they're not from farming. They don't have orchards. So there's a lot of different areas that a grower can can get involved. Still have so many growers that don't even know who the Ammon Alliance are and what they do. And so just even joining as a member, you're going to get so much information. You know, there's surveys that go out, maybe if there's something coming out. The staff knows what they need to focus on and where they should be driving their attention to help us. For more information about the Almond Alliance, visit almondalliance.org. Almond Alliance is all one word. Or call 209-300-7140. This is Vicki Boyd reporting for My Ag Life. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cat Ion EX5 Plus. Agroplante. Imagination. Innovation. Science in action. With Chilean table grape season starting this month, Chilean grape importers from across the U.S. are urgently requesting the U.S. authorities accelerate the authorization of a systems approach that would allow the entry of Chilean grapes into the U.S. without fumigation. After 20 years of work between Chile's Agricultural and Livestock Service and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the systems approach has been authorized by the technical organizations of both the U.S. and Chile. It is now waiting publication in the Federal Register by the USDA. 20 importers have sent letters to the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Bilsack, requesting that the USDA urgently publish the systems approach for Chilean table grapes. The delay in final approval has generated a complex situation for the entire value chain. Chile is the second largest supplier of table grapes to the U.S., with more than 240,000 tons shipped in the 2022 to 2023 season and sales of over $480 million. Grape imports from Chile are crucial to meeting demand during the winter months and with U.S. retailers and consumers demanding consistently high-quality grapes, a systems approach is imperative. The prospects for a huge U.S. rice crop are not pushing prices down by nearly as much as people might expect. 
USDA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford. Rice production globally this season is expected to be almost 518 million tons, which would be up about 4.5 million tons from last season. But use is up as well, and beginning stocks are low. USDA Outlook Chairman Mark Jekinowski says that has helped support prices for rice around the world. And that has also been supporting U.S. prices as well. Lending some support to those prices, even in the face of this year's U.S. rice crop, that will be 37% bigger than last year. Jackanowski says there are bigger numbers almost all the way down the projected U.S. rice balance sheet. Production is up, use is up, exports are up, but ending stocks are up as well. They could grow by 35% during this marketing year. The drop in average prices not expected to be that drastic, though. Prices remain you know, relatively strong, but still down year over year. Only down, though, by about 10 percent. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization predicts a declining international trade in foodstuffs for multiple reasons. While the organization's latest forecasts point to favorable production outlooks for most basic foodstuffs, global food production systems remain vulnerable to several risks. Those challenges include extreme weather events, rising geopolitical tensions, and policy changes that could potentially tip the delicate supply-demand balances and dampen prospects for international trade in food commodities and global food security. The global food import bill is forecast to reach a new high of $2 trillion in 2023. High-income and upper-middle-class countries are expected to lead the increase. Other challenges include the cost of shipping those foodstuffs. Dry bulk freight costs across the grains and oilseeds route mostly edged higher during the six months leading up to October of 2023, but remained well below last year's levels. However, robust demand has led to a recent rebound in freight rates. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is seeking ways to help specialty crop growers. Farm News reporter Michael Clements shares the details. USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service recently announced improvements to the Specialty Crop Competitiveness Initiative. Dave Salmonson, American Farm Bureau Federation Senior Government Affairs Director, explains the effort. This is meant to bring in comments and input from the producers, all kinds of stakeholders in the specialty crops industry, and how USDA can better support the industry in remaining competitive in both domestic and international marketplaces, focusing specifically on the specialty crops area. So they want to hear from stakeholders about how they can better help them in marketing their products and increasing consumption. USDA a few weeks ago also announced the Regional Agricultural Promotion Program. And this program, which is going to be about $1.3 billion to help do more for overall U.S. ag exports, but it's also going to have a specific emphasis on specialty crop industries across the country to help diversify export markets. So get them to expand export opportunities, more work for promotion programs, basically bring more attention to U.S. grown specialty crops in world markets. And over the last month, USDA and the U.S. Trade Representative announced a new seasonal and perishable agricultural products advisory committee. And it will focus primarily on trade factors that are influencing U.S. seasonal produce producers with a special emphasis on the southeastern U.S. There has been a lot of discussion about Mexican imports affecting Florida, Georgia, states in the southeast over the last few years. And this is a new committee to take an in-depth look into those issues and advise both USTR and USDA. Michael Clements, Washington. 
October saw inflation slow as the consumer price index remained unchanged from September and 3.2% above October of 2022. The food index rose 0.3% in October from September and was 3.3% above a year ago. Food at home was 2.1% above October of 2022, while food away from home was 5.4% higher. The fruits and vegetables index was 1.1% higher in October year over year, but fresh was down 0.1% over that time. Fresh fruit was 1.8% higher than a year ago, and fresh vegetables were 2.2% lower than a year ago. Frozen fruits and vegetables rose 8% above a year ago. The index for food away from home was up 5.4% over last year. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast and live and virtual events jcs marketing has the reach to inform educate and influence growers in the western united states everywhere you go you see west coast net magazine on every one of my customers tables so that tells you everything that's that it's there so they're reading our my ag life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 